Welcome to the show. I'm Shane Norton, aka the Sports Card Nobody, and this is episode three of the Sports Card Nobody podcast. Tonight, I will be answering some of the most basic entry level 101 questions that you might have about sports cards. Now, one of the absolute best parts about having any sort of a passion, whether it's collecting cards, collecting comics like I do, or maybe you like cars, or maybe you like wrestling, or maybe you like long walks on the beach, whatever it is that you are extremely passionate about, you probably love to talk about that with other people. Well, I absolutely love talking about sports card collecting with my friends, and I do just that in my group chat that I have been a part of for several years. I have two friends in that chat, and so they've seen the entire journey of me getting back into this hobby over the last several years. Well, in the last couple of months, it seems like I've actually been able to pique their interest a little bit, and both of them have dabbled in different ways. Well, as they've dabbled and listened to me talk, they've had questions. And it's funny how simple some of those questions can seem to me and to other people who have been doing this heavily for some time. But you know what? We all start somewhere. We all start with zero knowledge on something until we learn about it. And if they have those questions, there's a really good chance that someone listening will have the same questions. So I've collected a few of those that I think are worth going over, and hopefully you will find some help if you are new to the hobby. But first, I'd actually like to take a small detour and talk a little bit about success. Hopefully, every one of you listening to me has had some sort of success, whether it's in your personal life, in your careers, in your hobbies, maybe in your sports card collecting, you've had some big win. And if you have, congratulations. I really want to take a moment to stress, to always remember to enjoy the positive things that come your way. When you have a win, when you have a success, make sure you are patting yourself on the back and really letting that sink in. I don't think enough of us do that. And I am absolutely someone who can fall victim to that. I tend to focus sometimes a little bit more on the losses and forget about the good things that I have been able to accomplish. I'm going to take my own advice right now and I'm going to self-congratulate myself on a pretty big accomplishment that just came my way. I've been working in television for really close to 15 years now and I've loved my career. I've put an awful lot of hard work, countless hours into getting as good at my craft as I can. I got into that field, into the television field, because it was something I was interested in, intrigued by. It was content that I've always uh, consumed myself, and I wanted to be a part of that world. So when I finally got into it, I really dove in with everything that I have. Now, the television world can be tough. We work odd hours. I work nights. Uh, I work weekends. I work an awful lot of holidays. So it can make it hard when I'm trying to make plans with friends or family who are typically working more nine to five jobs. I tend to believe that I've actually gotten pretty good at this job. And over the summer, I got some incredibly, incredibly good news. And it didn't really sink in and become real until about two weeks ago when the fruits of that labor arrived at my doorstep. And I can now say, that I am an Emmy Award winning individual. Uh, so here, moving forward, 
I am no longer just a sports car nobody. I am the Emmy Award winning sports car nobody. And that feels really, really cool. Uh, One of the great things about where I have worked over the last 15 years is I work with such incredibly talented, great people. I have been some a part or I have been a part of some of the best teams in the business. I've been able to learn from so many people, whether it's different managers, different colleagues. Um, I've been a part of a lot of different seminars and training classes. I've been able to see other people and, and take for what they do and add it to what I do. And just, man, it's been a wild journey. But All of that said, I I can truly say that I've been a part of some teams that are the best in the world. And when I got that trophy in the mail and held it, it really felt like this is, this is real. It's not just a a thought, you know, just a, um, you know, congratulating ourselves and feeling good about ourselves, but this, somebody else actually thinks we're the best in the world for at least one year at what we do. So that was really cool. And I'm so very proud of that. I don't know if I'll ever win again. Took me 15 years to get this one, but I do want to take a moment to really let it sink in and share that with anyone listening. Um, And there's a good chance that some people listening also won this alongside me Um, because this is a team effort. You know, there's so many people involved in making a television show from producers to those on the floor. You know, typically what I work with is on the camera side, but you know, When you watch these things, I don't think people really understand just, you know, how many parts it takes to get that train moving. So congratulations to all of you that were a part of it. Uh, You know, it's a a huge team win and it feels great. But okay, enough about that. Let's move on to to some real sports card talk. And before I get to the questions, I do want to talk about a recent pickup that I made that is a little off the wall, a little unique. And, um, you know, honestly, probably going to be one of my favorite cards in my collection as I move forward. So again, I work in television and I, I've worked with an individual for the majority of that, of the time that I've been in my career. Um, I've worked with the, one of our on-air talent, both here where I am now on the East Coast. I've worked with him on the West Coast. I've traveled with him to different national championship games and special Olympics and a whole lot of events that we've done. Well, recently in 2021's Allen and Ginter set, this man that I've worked with actually had a card as part of that set. And that's Kevin Nagandi, who is an anchor for SportsCenter. As soon as I saw that he had a card, I knew I had to have it. And I thought at first I would go for one of the autograph versions until I saw on eBay something pop up that was I, I couldn't resist. And that's a uh, what they call a subject-used memorabilia card. This has a little piece of Kevin's tie, uh, pretty nice blue and white design, right there in the center of the card in a diamond, and a really great picture of Kevin, you know, with that million-dollar smile that he's got. Well, there was no doubt about it. I think it cost something like four bucks to get it on eBay, and it cost that much to ship it. But I had to have it. And the real cool thing about Kevin is, you know, not only have I worked with him, you know, for so long, but he's also a sports card collector. And he's one of the few folks that I can talk to that really knows about the hobby in person. You know, most of my friends are, like I mentioned earlier, they dabble. You know, they're interested. My wife absolutely does not care about the sports card world. Uh, but Kevin is a real legitimate collector. And every time I see him at work, 
it's fun to pick his brain. It's fun to talk about whatever pickups that, that I may have made or, you know, hear what he's been getting into. So when I got this card, I, I was pretty stoked to bring it into work and, and show it to him. Uh, and it was funny. Like one of the first things he said to me was, I, I don't even have the memorabilia version of that card. So, you know, it's an off, it's an off the, you know, beaten path sort of card, right? This is a really unique thing. But if you're a collector, these sort of unique things are what can separate your collection from anybody else's collection. You know, this is something that speaks to me really directly. This is someone that I consider a, a legitimate colleague. He's such a great person uh, that I love to chat with. I love to come in and work with him on, on the days that I do. And now I've got this really just different card in my collection. And to take it one step further, you know, as soon as I showed it to him, the first thing he said was, oh, you want me to sign it for you? I was like, I mean, if you want to, I mean, that'd be great. And sure enough, he did. You know, to Shane, you're the best. Kay Nagandi right there on the card. And uh, yeah, this is really, really cool card that I'll share on my Instagram. So thanks to Kevin. You, sir, are the actual best. And I told him, I've told him this before, but many years ago when I did work with him, the reason I knew he was someone I would love to work with is he used to come in in the mornings with uh, pineapple and always offer it to the crew. And I don't know if there's anything better than someone who's going to offer you their pineapples. So, so thanks again, Kev. I really do appreciate it. All right, let's get in to some of these questions, shall we? So to reiterate, these are very, very basic questions. If you are already in this world, if you already know a lot about sports cards, there's a good chance that you're not going to care about this information. But I'm the sports card nobody. I am assuming that there's other nobodies who listen to me and you are the ones I'm speaking to. And again, if my friends are are interested in these things, then you probably are too. But all right, enough fluff. Let's get into it. The first question that I uh, that I thought was worth going over, I actually see this one a lot in the Facebook groups and uh, on Reddit. Uh, you kind of really see this all over the place and it's a big one. What are my cards worth? Well, it's a loaded question. When someone's curious what their cards are worth, it could be all over the map. So there's no answer that I can give here that's going to tell you what your cards are worth. But what I can do is help you figure that out on your own. If you happen to come across some cards in your closet or you happen to be gifted some cards from some friends or family, whatever it might be, One of the first things that you can do if you want to know what you've got is to go to eBay. Currently, there is nothing in the world that will give you a better idea about value than eBay. Right now, it's where the most transactions take place, I think by a mile. So it's the most real-time price guide in existence. So the first thing you do is take the cards you want to know about, head over to eBay, put it in the search field, and see what comes up. But the next thing you want to do If you are on a desktop computer, is on the left, you can scroll down and there is a button to click on sold items that you are searching. So let's take, for instance, this Kevin Nagandi memorabilia card that I've got. I'd go in, type Kevin Nagandi memorabilia, Allen and Ginter, go over to the left, click on sold, and I will then see only cards that have sold. And that will now give me a real actual value of the card. People may ask for, let's say $100 for this card, but it doesn't really matter. Something is only worth what somebody is willing to pay. eBay gives you a pretty simple way to go see what real people are paying on these items. Now, one of the faults of eBay 
is if an item is listed as buy it now or best offer, it won't tell you what the offer was that was accepted. So again, let's use this Kevin Nagandi card. Let's say it was listed for four bucks, which is what I bought it at. Um, but it was listed as $4 or best offer. And let's say I offered $2. Well, when you do the sold filter, you will only see best offer accepted and you won't know the actual price. Thankfully, there are some third parties that have tried to share that information and, and the best one you can possibly go to at the moment is called 130point, 130point.com. If you go to that website, there is a spot where you can search for eBay listings. You can type in Kevin Nagandi memorabilia card and it will bring up every card that was sold and it will tell you what the best offer that was accepted is. So if I had bought this card for $2, you won't just see best offer accepted. You will see that it, that it actually sold for $2. And there's your real-time price. And that can take some work. If you have a whole box of cards, uh, you may have to go through individually and, and search for each card. Um, and it can be a lot of work. It really can. But there really is no better way to do this except to maybe go to a consigner or bring the whole the whole box of cards over to a card shop and, and try to do it that way. But if you really want to know the real value of your cards, eBay and 130 point are going to be your best friends. All right, next question number two, what is wax? It's funny when I got this question in the group chat, it was written as, I don't know if you're saying wax W A X or wax like whackable. Well, the answer is wax W A X. And what it refers to is the, packaging or the wrapping that the cards come in uh, back in the day they used to come in wax wrapping uh, nowadays that's not really so true but it's become the terminology used to talk about ripping open new cards out of their wrapping so when somebody talks about ripping wax or buying wax people are talking about cards that are still in their original packaging so ripping wax is ripping open brand new cards, and it is very fun to do, even though you're pretty much always going to lose money on doing it. Question number three, what is breaking? Breaking is a little bit of a, I don't know, semi-controversial way of selling cards in the hobby. So what breaking is, is somebody will buy a box of wax, a box of cards, and then sell off spots. So let's use a Topps Chrome hobby box of baseball cards as a, as a simple example. So there are 30 baseball teams in the MLB. If somebody wants to break a, a box of baseball cards, what they will do is sell off the teams. So we'll use a random team break as this example. So what the breaker will do is sell the teams at, say, $10 a team until all 30 teams are bought. Then those teams will be randomly assigned to the people that bought in. And then the breaker will open that wax on camera. And whatever cards they pull, whatever teams they pull, will go to the people that won those teams randomly. And then they'll send those cards off. So, for instance, if, uh, if buyer A had bought in two spots and they won the Yankees and the Mets. Well, every single Yankee and Mets card that the breaker pulls will get sent out to that buyer. 
Now, there's other types of breaks as well. There's PYT or pick your team breaks where you don't have to worry about randomly getting a team, but you can pay to get the team that you want. So the advantage to that is if you are trying to collect something specific, whether you're trying to chase a hot rookie or you're just a fan of a specific team, you can pay to have that team and not worry about the luck of the draw. Now, usually PYTs are going to be more expensive if the team that you want is popular. So for instance, in in some of the more recent uh, basketball breaks, the Charlotte Hornets are super popular because of LaMelo Ball. You might pay a premium to have the Hornets, whereas you might pay a lot less to get, say, the Orlando Magic. So PYT breaks are a good way to get what you want, but the price can go up. Now for other types of of breaks it can get some there's all different kind of clever ways that people will do it sometimes you're buying into divisions or you're buying into serial numbered breaks for some of the higher end products for instance let's take like a national treasures box where all the cards that are going to come out are going to have some sort of a serial number so everyone will buy in and be assigned a number zero through nine and whatever the serial number comes out let's say card one of ten gets pulled If you had the number one, you would get that card. So in the end, what breaking is, is a way for people to sell cards. And it's a fun way to get in if you're interested in getting wax, but you don't really want to pay to get a full box and, you know, end up with a bunch of cards for teams you don't care about or players you don't care about. And you can also, you know, sometimes get pretty lucky, you know, get into a a box pretty cheap and hit some big numbered auto and huzzah, congratulations. Odds are that's not what's going to happen, but it is a fun way to to sort of play your hand at a little bit of luck. All right, question number four. This one was a a little bit of a longer question. I'm going to keep it to the basics as best I can. But what was asked of me was, what are inserts, parallels, and numbered cards? Well, first and foremost, these are different types of cards that come inside of a broader set. We can use, again, the Topps Chrome Baseball as a simple example. The most common card that you're going to get is called a base card. It's whatever that year's design is. There's not a whole lot of flash and flair to each of these base cards. They're the common cards, the core cards within the set. Now, from there, you'll have what's called parallels, which are a version of the base card that has some extra flair to it. Now, what Topps Chrome does is they'll do rainbow parallels where you'll have a red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet type chase that you can do. And each one of those has a different type of rarity to it. Uh, They will also do different type of refractors, whether they're prism refractors, X-fractors, so on and so forth. And all of these cards just have some sort of flair, flash, uniqueness to them. And they're more rare than the base cards. So most people are trying to collect parallels because you are collecting, in essence, the set, the um, flagship card of a player, but a more rare version, which will now be more valuable. Now, within these parallels, you will often see numbered cards as well. And in the top scrum baseball, the red cards, for instance, are one of fives. Golds are one of 50s, orange is one of 25s, and so forth and so on. Uh, Every year, parallels get expanded, and there's newer ones, and it can get a little crazy. 
But basically what you're going to see on a numbered card is an actual stamped gold number. And that number will say something along the lines of one slash five. So you've got number one of five, or it could be three of five. It could be five of 15, whatever that particular rarity of that parallel is. Inserts are another type of card that will come in the set, but it won't look anything like the normal set. There'll usually be some sort of a story to it, I guess. So for instance, in this year's, optic basketball they have the splash parallels which is kind of geared more towards guys that shoot the ball really well steph curry tyler hero so forth and so on they also have the in my house set which has a really cool splash um background that says in my house and it's got like a nice colored you know dynamic background with the player and some sort of cool pose Uh, so these inserts are not part of the core set like the base cards or the parallels, but they add a little bit of variety. For the most part, inserts aren't as sought after, but sometimes they are. And in fact, sometimes uh, they're the most sought after part of a set. And you can see that with Don Ross's Don Russ's, um, downtowns or kabooms as well. Kabooms and downtowns are two of the hottest inserts in sports cards today. You can argue whether or not that value is going to hold. But as of now, if you get your hands on a downtown or kaboom, you likely have something pretty valuable. Number five, what company should I grade with slash buy? Well, this isn't a very simple question, but I'll break it down into a couple of answers. First, it depends what you're hoping to get out of your cards. If you want the best return on investment, there is one clear answer, and that is PSA. Right now, they are the absolute king of the hill within the market. You're going to get the highest premium possible on a PSA 10 versus any other company. So if you're hoping to turn profit, if you're hoping to make money, PSA is your best bet if you have cards worth sending in to them. Now, one of the challenges with PSA is they are so popular that they got completely overwhelmed a little while back, uh, about two years ago, I think it was now, and they had to completely shut down their business. They just could not keep up with demand. They had to raise prices, and they've slowly been getting the ball back rolling. But some people still have their cards there for well over a year. And I think currently, as I'm recording this, the cheapest option they have is still about $100. So if you don't have a card that is going to be valued at over a hundred bucks, it doesn't make sense to send in to them and you might want to look elsewhere. Well, right now, one of the most popular secondary options is SGC. SGC uses a really clean looking slab known as a tuxedo. And it is called that because the interior is all black with a white label. Now, SGC used to be incredibly popular for vintage cards, but with the PSA shutdown and hike, we've really seen an uptick in their usage for modern cards as well. They only cost about $30 for their most basic service, and I think your turnaround times with them are around 45 business days, which really isn't that bad. A third option that you might be interested in is BGS or Beckett Grading Services. One of the cool things that BGS does 
is not only will they tell you what your card is graded as, let's say a nine, but they will also tell you what the subgrades are, meaning they're going to break down what the corners, edges, surface, and centering is on your card as well. So you will have a better idea of why your card is a nine. You can see that maybe your corners are an 8.5, your surface is a nine, your edges is a nine, and your centering is an 8.5, all working itself out to be a nine overall grade. Now, one of the biggest drawbacks with BGS right now is the services that they are still offering. Right now, they are only offering two services. One is a premium, no subgrades, which is $125. And the other service that they're still offering is premium with subgrades, which is $250 a card. Now, the fourth option I'll talk about tonight is one of the newer kids on the block, which is HGA. HGA came on the scene a few years ago and they really got popular because of a feature they were offering of custom labels. No other grading company really tried to dive into this world and HGA really got a lot of buzz because of it. Now, on top of the custom labels that they offer, they do offer subgrades and they have a really nice high quality slab that their cards are coming in. They also offered a really affordable option. Right now, their lowest level entry level um, service starts at $25 with a 60 business day turnaround. Now, that being said, as of this recording, their turnaround times have been pushed back due to demand and some COVID issues. And right now I've heard it's taking about 80, I think 84 business days to get your cards back. So keep that in mind. Now, with all that said, the real lazy and simple answer to the question is this comes down to personal preference. What is your goal with getting your cards graded or buying graded cards? If you're hoping to make money, go with PSA. If you just want something for your PC or personal collection, what do you like? What fits your budget? What makes the most sense for you? So I would encourage you to do a little bit of a Google search, see what these slabs look like, and try to envision what they will look like wherever you are going to choose to display them. All right, number six, and the last question for the night was actually one that got sent to me while I was getting these notes ready today. Uh, funny enough, my buddy was talking about some cards that he was interested in on eBay, and he sent me along this question. What does POP mean? Well, POP is short for population report. So let's talk about PSA as our example. If you send a card into PSA, let's say a 1986 Topps Jerry Rice card, what they will do is they'll take that card, they will grade it, and then they will add it to their population report, which is a spreadsheet that basically lets everybody know how many of these cards are in existence and in which grades. So I think right now there's about 60 1986 Topps Jerry Rice PSA 10s in the world. That is a pretty rare card. There's not a ton of them. So if you buy one, you know that you're getting something rare, something that's likely going to hold its value. And we can use that information to have an idea of what we expect the market to do on our cards. And a good example on the opposite side of the spectrum is a 2019 Zion Williamson Prism Base card. Right now, I think there are approximately 20,000 PSA 10s of that card in the wild. That Jerry Rice has 60. Good luck finding that when you want to buy one. 
versus that Zion Williamson, you could probably find every single day on eBay. It's probably a much more liquid, easy to find card. And the prices on that are probably going to go down as more and more of those become available. So pop means population report, and it is a very valuable tool to help you understand exactly what you have. And that's all I've got, guys. That is the third episode of the Sports Card Nobody podcast. I want to, as always, thank you so much for listening. I really hope that some of these questions were helpful. Maybe you have some more questions, and you can feel free to send those over anytime you want. You can find me on Instagram, at Sports Card Nobody. I am also on Facebook. I have a Facebook group, at Sports Card Nobody as well. And you can feel free to join up and send me any questions you might have. It helps create content. I would love to chat with some of you. I love trying to meet some folks. So please, don't hesitate. And if you like anything I'm doing here, please like and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you so much. Have a great night. I'll talk to you soon.